Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Here she is, my aunt, Adela, painted by Gustav Klimt. That's quite a painting. She was taken off the walls of our home by the Nazis. And since then, she's been hanging in the Belvedere Gallery in Vienna. And now you'd like to be reunited. Wouldn't that be lovely? And then there's justice. You really think a painting that ends up as a fridge magnet will ever leave Austria? It'd be a mistake not to take a look. Could you drive a little faster? We're gonna be there four hours early. But I want to buy perfume and cognac in duty-free. I never thought I'd come back. That's our home on my wedding night. Half of Vienna was here. The painting belongs to Mrs. Almond's family. She is the Mona Lisa of Austria. We will fight you till the end for something we believe is ours. They destroyed my family. They killed my friends. And they forced me to abandon the people and the places that I loved. I won't let them humiliate me again. Here to file a lawsuit. We're taking the Austrian government to court. Have a nice day. There's no way you're gonna win. We didn't come here to eat cake. All along, you have thwarted me and closed the doors in my face. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a moment in history. Once the past has been put to right, we will not have come here in vain. People see a masterpiece by one of Austria's finest artists. But I see a picture of my aunt, a woman who used to talk to me about life. We should be reunited with what is rightfully ours. We were so pleased to be asked to moderate the panel discussion around one of the premieres of Woman in Gold. It was a sold out crowd and everyone watched this very emotionally draining movie, which has gotten pretty much panned across the board. Now, I personally liked it and O'Toole, what about you? What did you think of it? Well, I need to preface this by saying that I first read a tremendous book on the subject called The Lady in Gold by Anne-Marie O'Connor. And the way Anne-Marie O'Connor told the story in the book, it was riveting. And so I went in with the expectation of what an amazingly rich story and immediately thought this could be a made-for-TV miniseries. The detail of this book, it is so well researched. It describes Vienna at the turn of the century, a cultured city, some would say a decadent city. After all, the waltz has been invented, which is throwing unmarried girls into the arms of strangers. You've got the emperor, you've got the emperor's mistress. Gustav Klimt, who was born to a penniless goldsmith, becomes an avant-garde artist. Some consider him to be a pornographer. Running around Vienna in his toga, fathering illegitimate children, Children, eventually dying of syphilis. Oh, who knew? Um, okay. He spent three years painting Adele Blochbauer, whose father was one of the wealthiest bankers of the Habsburg Empire. He owned the Orient Express. Adela marries an older millionaire who owed his fortune to sugar because, after all, Vienna loves its pastries. Adela hosts salons with people like Sigmund Freud and Strauss. Mark Twain was in town. Her best friend marries Gustav Mahler and then Walter Gropius. Adela dies young and suddenly in 1925. And Hitler, who was an unsuccessful artist, had been trying to peddle his own paintings 
in Vienna. And that's just the beginning. It ends with the sale of Klimt's painting to the son of Estee Lauder for $135 million. But I thought it was such a rich, rich story that when I went to see the movie, I thought it was void of dramatic tension. There were moments that truly moved me, but I thought you could have done more when you're dealing with such dramatic themes. And you have, of course, the tremendously talented Dame Helen Mirren. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't think the flashbacks into the Nazi time were filled with dramatic, uh, with tension? There were moments where I thought the flashbacks seemed a little like recreations that some people use as a device in documentaries, where I feel too much the recreation, where it almost seems like actors in period costumes, which of course they are actors in period costumes, but (laughs) it didn't seem as real to me. And I definitely understand what you're saying, but for me, what I thought was so well done is and everybody you know the the Nazi flashbacks are in so many movies i mean we could just name them off but why bother okay but in this case because helen mirren is so excellent an actor mm-hmm. and she basically introduces in this movie every flashback you know i thought those transitions were so much stronger than i've seen in other films and i think that we can thank helen mirren for that i thought her performance was terrific and those were definitely the high points of the movie yeah, for me yeah i agree but i thought as a movie the weakest element was the script. And I know that they say that if you focus on a period of time or a place, it usually makes for a much more dramatic screenplay. But the more time you cover in a movie and the more geographic distance you cover in a movie, you risk having the dramatic tension become too diffuse. You know what movie comes to my mind when you say that? Roots. Roots covers like 300 years. Which and br- is a made-for-TV miniseries. They didn't <laughs> try to really get it all. really well done. Yeah, exactly. And they didn't so try to right. get it all Maybe done into right. 90 yep. minutes. Yep. So I'm not sure that flashbacks were the best vehicle in terms of how to tell this story. I would have started out chronologically and shown the dramatic rise and fall of a truly cultured city. To me, that's not what this movie's about. What this movie is about is much more the legal aspects. And, you know, we're going to get into that. If you look at the genesis of the movie, the lawyer uh, who's played by Ryan Reynolds, who definitely is getting panned and poor Ryan, he deserves better because his performance is not, I don't think at all, as bad as people are saying. I loved him in the proposal. It's not that I think the sexiest man alive can't play smart, even though here they gave him a particularly bad haircut and a pair of glasses, but they made him so weak. And I thought, who would I have rather seen play the role? And the person who immediately came to mind, who could have played the lawyer so much better, is Evan Handler, who, of course, played Harry Goldenblatt on Sex and the City. I like that. I like that. The script for the movie was laid out on the airplane by the lawyer who represented her um, as they were going to the auction of the painting. And it was a, it's about the legal you know, restitution. Now, I know that there are many fabulous writers and screenwriters who started out as lawyers and probably dreamt of writing anything that required no footnotes, like Scott Turow. But do you think it was best <laughs> served by using the lawyer screenplay that he drafted on this the This is plane? not about the actual painting. It's about how how a woman who was torn away from her country came to America and then 40 years later went to get something that belonged to her that they took away. That's what well, it's about. Okay, yeah. even if I give you that, 
a woman torn away from her country. One of the scenes that I thought was the most dramatic was when they showed Maria Altman and her husband Fritz. I know, amazing. Being chased by the Nazis. And you know what? The real life story is even more interesting. So just think about this to flee out of Austria because they could not get passports, they had to flee into Germany. Where else is that done except by mistake in The Sound of Music, where when they're singing and they're crossing the mountains, anyone with a sense of geography knows they're crossing into Bavaria and not out of Austria. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. But... I thought they were crossing into Switzerland. I never knew what you just yep. said. Nope. Look at I a map. That. All right. You know, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Well, that had some dramatic tension because they were actually being chased. That was gripping. You wondered, are they going to make it out? They're fumbling with keys. They've got the Nazis behind them. Some are helping them. Some are pointing the fingers at which way they've gone so Nazis can follow them. In real life, the Dutch farmers who helped them out, they lost their lives for helping them out. They were sent off to Auschwitz. Now that's emotional. That's dramatic. And I felt that the movie dragged a bit. I did, but I almost felt like that's okay because we all have got to understand these things that happened in in historically important times that we we didn't live in, but we need to pay attention to. And so I thought that was okay that it dragged. But I mean, you're totally right. I'm sure that it could have been ever so much better. If a movie is dragging, it's never acceptable. I enjoyed it more than, but it reminded me a little bit of Philomena. And here's what I mean. Oh God, here we go, right? You have a woman, in this case, Helen Mirren, Dame Helen Mirren, and Philomena, you had Dame Judi Dench, two actresses who I love, very strong, strong, strong actors. They're paired with a younger male counterpart who are supposed to be professionals in their field, one a journalist, the other a lawyer. You're dealing with very dramatic themes of, um, you know, mass graves and injustices done and people willfully either living in ignorance or turning a blind eye to travesties. You've got a screenwriter who's trying to inject bits of levity, and yet in both cases, I thought they could have been more emotional. And to me, as I was watching Ryan Reynolds' performance, I thought this is the kind of thing they're making him do that would bug me in a romantic comedy if they made a woman do it. So for example, did it happen in real life that he opened up his file folder and all his papers fell off onto the feet of the arbitrators in Austria? Was he that bumbling? I don't know. I think I think he played it, you know, pretty well. I think his wife, you know, I, I you know, I don't know what you thought of her, but a meager role is all you can say about it. I thought Katie Holmes, this I will say for her, she always comes across very naturally to me. So the scene where she was driving them both to the airport, the look Katie Holmes gave Ryan Reynolds, I thought was perfect. They made her a little wild-eyed once she became pregnant. It was a thankless role of, I am the wife at home who um, is just shown being pregnant. But no, I thought she was great. But Ryan Reynolds, I thought was too understated and too meek. I don't know. I liked him. Now, the other person who had sort of a meager role, um, you know, was Elizabeth McGovern, who plays one of the judges as they're going through it. And Simon Curtis, who directed the film, is married to Elizabeth McGovern. So that's why she did it. And again, she, like Katie Holmes, she just nailed the performance. Easy schmeasy, you know, in and out. This is funny. I was not as impressed with Elizabeth McGovern. Um, oh, I thought she did to a great me, job. she was she was Lady Cora in a black robe who still has that <laughs> accent of an American who's been living in London right. for so long. I did like the rejoinder where Helen Mirren says, you know, I always thought we should have more female judges when she ruled in their favor. Well, you know, I like anything like that. <laughs> we gotta get into legal aspects of it. We're so pleased to have Jerry Foreman, who not only has represented a number of people seeking restitution from uh, Holocaust atrocities and, and stolen property. But in addition to that, he's written the book Graphic History of Anti-Semitism. 
So to have both the, the combined interest in the Holocaust as well as uh, restitution, a uh, great legal mind we have. We're really grateful to have him here to talk with us. So welcome, Jerry. Thank you for coming, Jerry. Thank you very much for inviting oh, me and man. having me. It's my privilege to be here. So uh, for those of you who have seen the movie, Jonathan Price, who plays Rehnquist uh, at the Supreme Court, was very entertaining. And as somebody you know who has never seen the Supreme Court in action, was that could that have been realistic? I've only appeared before the Supreme Court uh, on one occasion. Actually, it wasn't the full court; it was one justice. Wait, the other justices <clears throat> couldn't make it? Well, no, it was it happened to be a situation where I was representing a gentleman who was arrested at Fort Dix. We brought a habeas corpus proceeding. Uh, Schoenberg talks about uh, his experience in front of the Supreme Court when he was arguing the case, and that he could not understand. Uh, the question, I think, presented by Souter uh, in that case. And uh, in his inimitable way, simply said, Judge, I don't understand what you mean. But do you uh, think that really happened? I think it did happen. I know that it was a little controversial that Maria Altman decided to stick with Schoenberg as her lawyer in front of the Supreme Court because he had never been up in front of the Supreme Court before. If you're asking me uh, as an attorney, would I have made that selection? Probably not. I would have probably gone with much uh, more experienced and wiser uh, counsel who had the experience in front of the court. But I can understand the uh, personal connection, obviously, that Maria Altman had with this uh, young man. So uh, I, I wouldn't fault that decision. And of course, after uh, uh, looking back upon it, it was the right decision. Why would the Supreme Court of the United States have the power over Austria? Is it, again, America sticking our nose in other countries in a very big way? Why do we have that power? We have the power uh, because it was uh, legislatively created by Congress. Uh, in a statute that allowed uh, countries for private purposes to, to protect its citizens against uh, illegal acts of foreign countries. Historically, uh, uh, sovereign immunity was the ability uh, to uh, thwart any kind of action by a citizen of its own country or citizens of other countries to seek redress against the government. Uh, and the word sovereign, of course, came from the period of time in history where you had kings and, and, and despots and whatnot. And they said, literally, uh, you, not, you, you may not sue me for any decision that I make uh, because I am the sovereign. Well, you can't sue the United States government. Yes, you can. Oh, you can. Yeah, there are limited circumstances where you can sue the United States government or any government in the United States. However... What the issue really is, is what happens when you get a result that's favorable to the person who's making the claim. As in Maria. In the, yeah. As Maria. If she just had, if Maria had proceeded in our court system uh, that her attorney advised her not to do, uh, she had still had to try the case in the district court, win it. Uh -huh. and then um, deal with any appeals that the Austrian government would have made to the appeals court and or the Supreme Court. It would have taken maybe a decade or so to, to accomplish that if she would have been successful. Um, now, let's suppose she was successful and there were no appeals, and now she has a judgment against the, against the sovereign state of Austria, and it says, you owe me those paintings. And the sovereign state of Austria says, go fly Which a kite. Which they would have, right? Go fly a yeah. kite. We're yeah. not going to give it to you yeah. unless you pay us whatever they would have said. How do you enforce the decision? 
We so, go to war. Oh, go. yay, another war. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way. And again, it's very important to distinguish between the fact that it's not a public act, so to speak, of a government that you're, you're attacking. It's the private act of a government. Now, Jerry, this is something that I thought was so interesting when I looked at the Supreme Court opinion. They said that even if the state had been acting privately, as was the case with the Klimt painting because of the Belvedere Museum refusing to return it to her, they still had to show that that entity, the gallery, the Belvedere Museum, was engaged in commercial activity in the United States. Schoenberg, Maria Altman's attorney, had found a museum guide in English in a Los Angeles bookstore um, from the Belvedere, and that that was enough to get jurisdiction. So that threshold's not very high. No, it's not high. You're right. I agree with you. What I I thought was interesting, too, how Maria Altman had first sought redress with the Austrian courts. There was a requirement in Austria that the court costs were proportional to the amount in controversy. So she had to drop her suit because it would have cost her initially one and a half million dollars just to file the suit in Austria. And even when they reduced that to $350,000, it was beyond her means. So um, that requirement barred her really from seeking any relief from the Austrian courts. Yes, that was to put up a bond. I agree. Uh, That was outrageous. That was just part of the, uh, I think, system that uh, Austria was using, it's almost like, uh, you know, killing, killing uh, Marie all over again, so to speak, uh, by denying exactly. her the, uh, the access to that court system. Well, but it, do they do that on everything or they just did that on her? They must do that on everything in Austria. We do not do that here under, unless under very, very special circumstances. Nobody has a more litigious society than the United States of America. If we did do something like that, perhaps we wouldn't quite you know, be in the courts quite as often as we are, you know, I, I mean, I, but I, but it totally makes sense. I mean, that means a poor person can never sue anybody, right? That's right. And it was ironic because a lot of people were advocating that Austria should step forward and buy the paintings from Maria Altman. They said, we can't afford them. And I thought that's interesting. If, if the Austrian government can't afford to buy back the paintings, they shouldn't be the same entity requiring her to file such high court costs just to argue about them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I, I believe that there was uh, uh, some comments and analysis subsequent to the case that suggested the mistake Austria was making was uh, dealing with tax funds. And when they heard tax monies, uh, it didn't sit well with the citizenry of Austria to use tax money to buy those paintings. Interesting. Back. Really? They, did, they, didn't, they would rather lose the painting than pay for it? That was fundamentally the decision. Wow. They, they, the, as a matter of fact, uh, the criticism was where the suggestion was that, if I remember correctly, uh, that the government of Austria could have used other funds from other sources and not new funds, so to speak, to purchase that if they thought that they wanted to maintain that painting in their in their country. Uh, they could have found that, let's say, from some other sources, uh, just moving things around instead of raising new money to purchase this. Now, I, I, I just want to ask, again, University of Nebraska speaking here, not from you brilliant <laughs> legal minds that I'm speaking with. Okay, I was dying to know the name of the law firm in Los Angeles that said he couldn't carry through with the case because that was one of those bad decisions that you, you know, bad move, bad move, bad move. Do, do either of you know which that law firm was that fired Schoenberg? I'm looking at a speech that uh, Schoenberg gave, and he says, um, at the time I was working in the Los Angeles office of Freed, Frank, Harris, Shriver, and Jacobson, a large New York firm, 
and I very naively looked into the possibility of suing. And he was doing securities litigation. Um, but it was interesting because apparently when Maria Altman called him that day and he was at work, he happened to be on the internet reading about the new restitution law that had just been passed in Vienna um, because his grandfather had been a brilliant composer who fled Hitler. Um, he was you know, also in Vienna. So obviously you know, he had a family connection. And looked a lot like his grandfather, I I might add. (laughs) I mean, really, nobody thought that they stood a chance legally. Okay, I have a couple more questions. Um, What's happening now is there's an article actually just came out yesterday talking about how Austria is now coming forth and saying they want to put a limit on when they're going to have to start giving, you know, when they can stop giving everything back, on which to me is somewhat hysterically funny of, okay, there should be a limit when you've stolen something, it no longer is stolen after a certain time. In other words, it's stolen, it's stolen. Now, I wanted to ask you, Jerry, especially with your work in anti-Semitism and your incredible knowledge of of how uh, anti-Semitism grew in Germany through the use of postcards and, and, and drawings and all of these things, the recent rise of anti-Semitism in Europe, do you think that's one of the reasons why they feel they can come forward now and say that they would like to stop um, top, stop giving things back during, you know, from the Nazi period? I mean, do you feel like they feel like the cultural moment is now that they can get away with it? And do you believe that, A, you can make a law that says, okay, we don't have to do it anymore after five more years? To answer your second question first, the, the, the answer is yes, you can. It's It's basically a limitation of actions. Has there been one before? Well, there are. For sure. Statute, Stat- of statu- course, of limitation course. of yeah. actions is just another word for statutes of limitations. Uh-huh. The theory behind the statute of limitations, of course, is that there should be a point in time that uh, something should end and, and not have to uh, be continuing to linger, so to speak, uh, in, in society. It's ironic in a way that the U.S. Supreme Court's own jurisprudence is pretty much based on that tenet. Because, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe one of the very first cases under Chief Justice John Marshall way back when was about how the U.S. had basically taken all its territory from the Native Americans. They basically came out and said, look, you can't sue the U.S. and get your land back because we need to quiet claim and move forward. True. There's a need to bring things to an end and go forward from there, whatever it may be. What was also surprising to me during the Nazi era, uh, you know, there's such good note takers, you know, that they left, you know, volumes of data that prove what they did and that Austria had that file you know, available for them to go in and get. Maria's will, it was obvious, very clear in the movie. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it really, really spells out, you know, in language we can all understand that Maria's will was not a will, it was just a wish. Can you explain why, just because he paid the bill, you know, because he wrote the check for the painting, it supposedly belonged to him rather than her. Let me just clarify something. Uh, As far as I understand it, uh, uh, she left the will. Okay. In the will that she did leave, she made a precatory statement saying that, uh, as we know, uh, that uh, I ask my husband to leave the, the uh, Klimt paintings to Austria or certain museums. And that was uh, a, a request in her will for him to do that. By can, the way, I, you know, I have a will. I didn't know I could ask people to do things in it. You can. And since I've just passed away, that would mean they'd probably want to because they're going to feel bad if they don't. I, I'm going to go change my will immediately. Well, 
Many people today do, as a matter of fact, draw wills, and they ask their children. Never heard of that. They ask their children in their will to, let's say, divide the uh, their oh. personal property in certain ways, as they, for example, uh, list on a separate piece of paper. Now, what the problem is when you do it that way, it does not even in this country. Uh, constitute a, an enforceable provision. Uh -huh. It's a wish, so to speak, and it's not it's not enforceable. I wanted to ask Jerry this because I remember my first summer of law school, I was working at a firm in Zurich, and one of the older lawyers at that firm said that he worked on a similar case with the Rothschild family, and he was very frustrated because he thought he could have gotten them more of their artwork back. Um, but he couldn't get all the heirs to agree. And I remember thinking at the time that just stunned me. And then when I was reading more about the Maria Altman case, I thought it was very interesting that her niece, Nellie, had different views about how they should or should not proceed. And I was just curious, how is that just a common thing that you can't get all the heirs on board? I know that Nellie thought the Klimt painting, in her opinion, initially anyway, should stay in Vienna. It's interesting you ask that. Uh, I, I've been involved in a lawsuit for years now where the heirs are fighting each other and, and cannot come to an agreement, and the result has been litigation uh, for years and years and years. Yes, it happens quite often. Jerry, tell us, um, where was Schoen, where was he lucky and where was he <clears throat> smart in his handling of this case? Because it seemed to me, the movie sort of portrays it all as luck. I, I'm not... Uh, too, too um, uh, receptive of the word lucky in this particular situation. I think he was, I think he had to do what he had to do as he went along with the issues that he had to deal with. Perhaps when he was looking around for something to do, when he was denied the result in Austria, ah. and he started... I mean when he finds the book in the bookstore. When he yeah. finds the book in the bookstore, uh, when he's looking for some kind of nexus Jerry, another thing in my reading of this that I thought was very interesting is even after they prevailed at the U.S. Supreme Court level, that was a very narrow holding, saying that they did have the right to proceed in the U.S. courts. Um, when Schoenberg then decided to, to go forward with arbitration in Austria, that seemed like a big gamble. Uh, if I was in, in Schoenberg's place, I would have probably thought that uh, the risk was worth taking. Why would it be? Why would you... What, Austrians never, it's like giving up the Mona Lisa. Why would I think I have a better shot over there than in America where we'd be getting the, the painting? For all the reasons that the Austrians would not have agreed to arbitration here in the United States, they would have just continued to fight the case uh, in the courts. Uh -huh. Therefore, we'd have to go to war. We'd have to go to war. <laughs> so this was an opportunity to convince two out of three arbitrators of your case, of your point, uh, and, and uh, they were successful in getting a unanimous decision by the arbitrators. How did they pick the arbitrators? One was selected by Maria Altman and her attorney. Austria selected the other, and those two selected the third. And that's often how arbitration works. It seems that this was also won a little bit in the press because of the work of the journalist who was the first to uncover the Nazi background of Kurt Waldheim, who, you know, back in the 80s was the leader of Austria. Austria seems to have done an amazing PR job after the war where they all claim to have been the first victims of the Nazi rule, as opposed to saying Hitler himself was Austrian. He was welcomed in with the Anschluss by many, with the hero's welcome. You're absolutely correct. They thought themselves as victims, and I think that was part of their motivation for what they were doing post-war, uh, as exemplified in this particular movie and the circumstances of returning uh, returning the uh, the paintings. Um, 
there's there's um, uh, it's also from a, uh, a a Jewish point of view, I believe, uh, uh, kind of a reinforcement of the attitude of the Austrians towards Jewish people, uh, even after the war. Uh, and and uh, if you remember the the um, commission that the Austrians created to deal with the uh, return of paintings and artworks uh, in and of itself get, had gave gave the claimant no teeth whatsoever to get involved and appear before the commission to seek redress. And that was, I think, consistent with the attitude of uh, the Austrians that we're not responsible, we're not guilty, we're, we're a victim like everybody else. They say that there's a bunker underneath the Belvedere Museum, which might have been built for Hitler. I think it's fascinating that Hitler was rejected by a Viennese art school. There's a great line from the movie about the Hitler's application. Oh. I think Maria Altman says, I wish he would have been accepted. Oh, that's right, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Um, Jerry, I sat next to you in the film. Any thoughts on how you felt while you were watching that film? I always feel uneasy and uh, frightened, so to speak, and, and absolutely disappointed in, in human nature when I see things like that. The fear is, in a, in a very vague sense, a personal fear for any group of people, Jews, blacks, women, uh, and you can name many, many different groups, who are victims of that kind of hatred. And let's, let's be, I think, very clear. Anti-Semitism, misogyny, anti-black is, is a form of hatred. And uh, sometimes that hatred is visceral. And it's so deep uh, that uh, it, it, when it manifests itself in the fashion that it did during the Nazi era, uh, I wonder, uh, and I continue to wonder, uh, whether or not we uh, are able to deal with it, eliminate it. And I say in my book, for example, that I think anti-Semitism and again, again, again hatred uh, in, that, in that fashion is a failure of all the disciplines, theology, psychology, sociology, uh, uh, and the legal system. I was going to so say, forth. you're missing the legal system, yeah. 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 Uh, it's a failure of all the human systems to deal with such a hatred and get rid of it. It's been said that if the world didn't have the Jews, it would have invented them. Uh, and they need a scapegoat. So when I see that in the film that, you, that you're that you pointing out, there were scenes where they were scrubbing the, the For me, that was one of the, yeah, it was one of the... Which, in fact, were very mild in the nature. They were, yeah. They were mild. Uh, and rightly so, I think, for this particular movie. There's no, there's no sense, and it's been depicted many, many times before in some fashion. I think there was one aspect that the movie did not address, and that was the uh, manipulation of the claimants by the Austrian government, having to give them permission to remove the paintings even after uh, a decision would have been made by a committee saying that they can remove it. So the Austrian government continued to manipulate and continued to fight. And as a result of that, saying that, well, we'll uh, applications had to be made for export licenses. And in doing so, the Austrian government would uh, sometimes take years to, to make the decision, during which time it gave uh, officials who wanted to keep the goods in the or keep the material or the art paintings or whatever in Austria an opportunity to extract something in return by saying, well, I'm going to give you your permit, but uh, would you please uh, leave this behind and that behind and this behind? So it was making deals. 
that was part of the the um, uh, the case here. There's lots of controversy about this film in terms of reviews. It's shocking to me that some people really are not liking it. And, you know, obviously, did you like the film, Jerry? I mean, you know, obviously, it's hard to say I liked a film that is just leaves you drained and, and dripping at the end of it. But, talk, you know, what'd you think of it? My first reaction is there was no car chase. Um, so that, 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 you know, it slowed it down for me a little bit. Well, by the way, one of the criticisms is that he's just too slow. It was, it did was, you feel that way? I, I yes, guess I did too. I, I thought it dragged a little bit in terms of uh, uh, length of time to get from point one to point B. But so did algebra class, and you had to sit through it because you need to know. You know what I mean? So it's sort of like I'll give him dragging a little bit, won't you? Well, I was required to go to algebra <laughs> class. I was not required to go to the movie. Um, uh, but short of that, I, I think the uh, the movie under the circumstances was all right. Uh, I think it was, if I would give it stars, I would give it maybe a three and a half. And I think the uh, the, the drama uh, would have, which I think would have been very difficult to insert in this particular movie, uh, was was missing, uh, and that would have been a, really a challenge uh, for for any director and any writer to, to because of the nature of the movie. It's all about a lawsuit. One of the other people on the panel was um, was a movie reviewer for the Cape Cod Times, actually. And he said the whole point of this movie, and he felt it was an important movie, and he felt that the point of it was to remind people to do the right thing and that there were a lot of people in this movie that did the right thing. The arbitrators did the right thing. I bet they I bet they got death threats after that, you know, after that unanimous decision, right? I mean, it was a, it's a pretty big bold move in 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 Austria to give away a painting like that, let's face it. It was a movie about doing the right thing. However, you're suggesting that if the panel would not have uh, returned the painting, they would have done the wrong thing. So as an attorney, uh, you you you, I, w I would think that the evidence in front of them is what they, they had an obligation to make a decision upon. So I'm not sure it was the right thing as much as it was what they had to do. Uh -huh. right? <laughs> and that it, because to suggest that it was the right thing, that means that they could have had another choice. I'm suggesting that they didn't have another choice. This was the evidence. This was the law. They, she was entitled to those paintings back. And yes, they did in that sense the right thing. <laughs> Put forth like like the legal mind that you are. Okay, now tell me, do you like the painting? I love the painting, and and uh, I do I, not love the painting. I love the painting. I, I it's grand. I saw it in New York. So did I. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, uh, I do like the painting. Uh, I've worked a, a little bit with gold leaf, so I, I gotta I love that aspect of it so far. I think it's very, very colorful. Wait, you worked on gold leaf I you know, on your on your briefs? No, 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 unfortunately no. I worked on jewelry. Yeah, uh -huh. put a, applied it to jewelry. Very nice. Jerry, we can't thank you enough for taking time out to come in and clarify some of the issues. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you very, very much for having me. I really appreciate it.